0: If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we are in Isaiah chapter 9 today, and we're continuing a series called Waiting on the Promise that we started. This is our third week of it. And as I was preparing for the service, actually this morning, I was going over my notes one last time, and, and I was thinking about this promise that we've been studying and all the prophecy we've been looking at, and I'm like wait a second, what are we waiting on? What, what were these Old Testament uh, prophecies pointing to? Why did we need to wait? Why did we need this promise? And, and I started focusing on maybe just the simplest matter of what this promise was, and it finally came to me. What this promise that we were waiting on was more than just Jesus. Now, don't, don't crucify me. I don't, there's not more than Jesus. But the birth of Jesus means for us, means rescue it means rescue from the world that we live in. And this morning as we go through our service, I want to focus on being rescued. Back in October of this year, two men set out from their home. They lived in some islands off in the Pacific Ocean. They set out from their home to go to another island 100 miles away. And they'd made this journey many times. And they knew that all they had to do to get from where they were going to, or from where they were to where they were going, is they just had to keep the coastline on the left of the boat. As long as they could see the coastline off to to the left of the boat, eventually they would get to the point where they would where they were planning on going. But there was a problem on this particular trip. During this particular trip, a storm blew in. And you guys know how storms are. It gets all like windy and, and dark and thunder and lightning and big waves. And it wasn't very long before they lost track of the coastline off to their left. Well, lucky for them, they were prepared and they had a GPS. So they pulled out their GPS and they were able to keep moving with the GPS telling them their, their location and which direction to go. But unfortunately for them, the GPS didn't last for very long before it ran out of battery. And now these two men are out in the middle of the ocean with no land inside and no GPS. And all they could think of to do was just just turn the motor off and quit wasting gas and wait for somebody to come rescue us because we are hopelessly lost and we can't get ourselves out of this situation. They stayed in that boat for 29 days without seeing a person or without seeing land. They lived by taking canvas that they had in the boat and collecting rainwater, and they had a few oranges and coconuts that they had brought along with them, and that's what they lived on for 29 days. Can you imagine their excitement when on the 29th day they saw the rescue vessel, they saw this fishing boat coming towards them and with all of their strength they waved, come get us, come save us because we we are hopelessly lost in this situation. They were so weak from their circumstances when they were taken to land, they had to be carried from the boat to get medical attention. And that is such a picture of what the world looks like without Jesus Christ. Hopelessly lost, afloat and adrift without any hope of finding our way back and when we celebrate Christmas, what we celebrate is this rescue vessel sailing into our world and sailing into our life. Now, you and I have the benefit of looking backwards at the, at the Bible and knowing what it means for Jesus to be here. But these promises that we're looking at came to people who were afloat and adrift with, with no hope of rescue. And God would send them just this little bit of hope, this little hint. Here's a promise. Rescue is on the way. Just be patient for it. And so as we study these promises that we've been looking at, we're looking at it through the face of these people who waited, waited to be rescued in the future. And last week we dove in for the first time, we dove into Isaiah and he promised a child in Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 7. And this long-term promise was a child of the Messiah, the Savior, the rescuer of the world. And he continues to prophesy about some current circumstances. But in Isaiah 9, we see Isaiah, he comes back to the promise of this child, to to the promise of the Messiah the promise of the rescuer that is on the horizon in coming to save us. So if you've got your Bibles, this is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end and upon the throne of david and upon the kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this So Isaiah here gives us a prophecy of this upcoming Messiah. And I want to remind us again, when we say the word prophecy in the Bible, it doesn't mean anything special. It just means a promise that God has given us, that he's made a plan. He's working on the plan. And from time to time, he gives us just an instance and a glimpse into his plan. He reveals himself to us through that. And up to this point in the series, we've tracked through the Old Testament, 12 different promises about the birth of Jesus Christ. And that seems like a lot, but in truth, this is only the ones that are most prevalent and most concerning, Jesus being born. There are over 400 of these promises in the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he will do. And this week, we're going to pick up with four more promises to add to the 12 that we've already looked at. So promise number 13, if you've got your notes with you, is that the Messiah will be born as a child. Now, I know this is why you come to Ramsey Heights. It's for riveting theology like Jesus was born and he was a child together. I know that doesn't shock us, but you've got to understand, to the people that this was written to originally, this would be shocking to look at the Messiah this way, because the expectation of the Messiah was that he would be a larger-than-life rescuer of the people. We know what those kind of guys look like; like. They're always tall and and good-looking. He's going to command mighty armies. He's going to ride on a horse in front of these armies, and people are going to praise him and see him. He's going to be smart. He's going to speak like seven languages. There were all of these expectations of the Messiah, and yet Isaiah sits here and says, no, no, he's just going to be a child. As a matter of fact, I think Isaiah is obsessed with the context of the Messiah as a child, and I understand that, but it's so contradictory to, to what you would expect when you talk about this rescuer and this Messiah Imagine if you and I were in that boat floating for 29 days and we had all this time to think about this rescue vessel. It's going to be a Navy aircraft carrier is coming for me, guys, if I'm lost in the ocean, because I'm that important. And then here comes a guy in a little John boat with a 12 horsepower motor. And that's kind of what people were expecting was this huge rescue plan. And yet Isaiah says, no, it's a it's a child. And this normalizes our society our, our messiah. Because to speak of a child speaks of of weakness and, and being frail. When Jessica was uh, pregnant with Oakley, I had literally never held a baby. Like maybe 20 seconds of my entire life had I ever held a baby. And I was so scared because there's going to be this creature that is going to come forth from my wife. And she's given me all of these orders already before she gets there. like, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And I'm so scared. And I was sharing with my friends. like, hey, I, I don't know. what. How do you, like, what do you do with this baby? And one of my friends gave me this awesome advice and it helped me so much. They said, I said don't worry. They're not as breakable as they look. And that made me feel better. Okay, I'm not going to break them. And then Jessica had Oakley, and they wrapped her up, and they handed her to me. And you know what I figured out about my friends? They're liars that baby is the most frail thing in my life. They're like, hold the neck this way if she doesn't eat. I mean, we went from being normal people to three days into having a child. I prayed for my daughter to poop. Lord, please let her poop. I mean, because there's so much frailty to that child. And so when we talk about this Messiah coming as a child, we see a Messiah coming that is dependent. And what we see in this and what Isaiah was focused on in his prophecy was the humanity of the Messiah. Our Messiah is going to come clothed in weakness. And it just doesn't fit our profile because we view the Messiah like some kind of a superhero. Like, we've all watched enough TV to be embarrassed of, if we're being honest. And, and like, we watch superheroes like Superman. Like, he looks like a man, but he's not a man. He's extra man, and that's how he rescues people. And we love action heroes like like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and 007 and stuff like that. And they're, they're always like larger than life figures who can't be stopped. I still have not figured out how John Wayne never got shot in all those movies. He, he was always on the winning part of it. When we look at heroes and rescuers, we think of them as something like human but superhuman. But this child that Isaiah is prophesying, he's going to come clothed in humanity. He's going to be normal. Uh, Jesus was a normal child. Well, as normal as you can get. But he had all of the normal milestones. Think about what you think of with your kids or your grandkids. Jesus wore diapers. Jesus went through the phase where he began to try to walk and he would fall down and scrape his knee and scream out in agony. Jesus grew into a teenager who had pimples and that awkward like not wanting to be around people face. Jesus was normal as far as anything else goes. And Isaiah keeps pointing to this all of the time. This child is coming. He points to the weakness and the humanity and the normalcy of Jesus Christ. But he continues because that is not good enough to be my Messiah. Maybe you guys can be saved easily, but let me tell you, I've got somebody needed to do something for me. And he continues on in this talking about his child. A child is born, and then he says that a son is given. And it's like, okay, Isaiah, we, we get you. You don't have to repeat. A child is born, a son is given. But if you look at the context clues of what he's using, the language that he's using here is not just repeating, oh, you're going to have a son. He uses the word given. And when we think of giving something, it means that I take something that I have purchased, I take something that is mine, and it is in my possession, and I release it to go to be for somebody else. Just like Christmas gifts. been all this time, Amazon has been hot this month, and you buy all of these things, and they're under your Christmas tree, and they're like, they're mine up until Christmas morning when I hand them off to somebody else. And, and so for this son to be given means that we're not looking at just the son of Mary, and not obviously the son of Joseph, But somebody is giving their son. They're letting go of their son for us. So whose son is this child? And what's the purpose of them? And above all, why are they giving us this child? And the answer to that is found in everybody's favorite verse in John 3.16. I I never realized how much John 3.16 was Christmas. That is the epitome of Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son He gave his son for us. So we see something else about this Messiah. While he is fully human, while he is coming clothed in humanity and weakness, promise number 14 on your paper is the child will be the son of God. And he was given to us for the purpose of saving the world. And so Now we have a, a more clear, perhaps up to this point in the series, the clearest picture we have of what the Messiah is going to look like. He's going to be a normal human. He's going to be clothed in humanity, 100% human like us, and yet he's going to be 100% God as the Son of God as well. And it's amazing when you try to wrap your head around what this means for us as a Messiah, that he is human and he is God at the same time and he is both. And I don't know how that works, but this is what I do know about that. I know that promises 13 and 14 may tell us the most important thing about our salvation that it can is it takes both of those to save us. Because we forget at Christmas time, we want to focus on a manger and a stable and little sheep that may or may not have been there and and all of these different things. We want to focus on those. But we often forget that this child grew up to be the sacrificial lamb for you and me. And he gave his life on a cross because you and I could not save ourselves because our sin was too great. We couldn't pay for it. And he grew up to be the sacrifice for our salvation. And it takes being fully human to be able to take the punishment for humans. But it also takes being fully God to be able to live a life of perfection and of goodness that he could take that punishment without deserving it. And Isaiah tells us this this amazing thing about our Messiah is that he is human and he is God and both of those, both of those are for us, for our salvation. Isaiah continues his picture here. and He goes on and talks about what will happen with this child, He says the government will be on his shoulders. We're moving quick. Promise 15. The child will be a ruler. When you talk about a government, you talk about a ruling authority. And so for this child to have the government on his shoulders, he is going to be a ruler of some sort. He will be in charge. And when you think of the word ruler, what do you think of? Don't don't say the little stick with the measurements on it. You, you think of somebody who is in charge, who is distant and disconnected from us. And so we look at this Messiah, like he's going to live in a palace, and he's going to be um, in charge, and we're going to serve him, and he's going to lay all of this heavy weight on us. But I love the way that Isaiah does this. He says, the government will be where? will be on his shoulders. And it tells us so much about the kind of ruler the Messiah will be. Because think about it, when, when do you carry things on your shoulders? you carry them when they're heavy when i buy like dog food or something you know a 50 pound sack of something some of you guys may be hostile enough to us pick that up and just walk through walmart with it i'm not i got to put that on my shoulder because my shoulder can carry more weight than anything else and this leads us to to sayings that we say in our society you may have heard somebody say i feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders it's a burden that i carry I've heard people say, I have big shoulders when they talk about taking other people's problems on themselves. I've heard that when somebody is missing from work, hey guys, so-and-so is missing, we're going to have to pitch in and take care of their job. We're all going to shoulder the weight. Every time we think about carrying something on our shoulders, it is heavy and it is a burden to us. And so for our Messiah to come in and is talking about he's going to carry the weight of the government on his shoulders, he's not coming in putting himself above all and saying, you guys serve me. He takes this responsibility. He takes it as something that is a heavy burden to him, not a blessing to him. He comes into our world to rule, not because it brings him something, but because he's bringing us something. And this, this tells us about the kind of ruler he will be, that he carries the responsibility of the government. Because usually when we think of rulers, we're thinking of people like they're going to get rich off of the people that they, they um, uh, rule over. They're going to tax their people. They're going to demand loyalty. And if you don't give that to them, well, they'll just have you executed. But Jesus Christ, our Messiah, he's abnormal. He has all of the power and authority and right to do whatever he pleases. And he could have used that in a selfish manner to do what he wanted, to have what he wanted. But actually, maybe he was selfish. Because what he wanted more than anything was us. And he uses his power and authority in a selfless manner. And for that reason, we love and worship him. Because when we talk about Jesus Christ, we're not talking about somebody who came here to put burdens on us. We're talking about someone who came here to take burdens off of us. He is the ruler and he is the Messiah. And he is worthy of worship for that reason. If you look into history, how many rulers can you say fit into that particular pattern? That their whole goal of rising to power was so they could give their power away, so that they could serve others. It's quite the opposite of what we think. Most rulers, most politicians, most kings and queens, they want power for selfish reasons. See, but our Messiah is not a regular king. Regular kings demand to be served. Great kings serve others. And as Christians, we are called to live that example. It's just a little side note here. When we look at Jesus Christ and we look at who he is, we are called to live like he is, to live selflessly. And especially when we're in a position of authority, especially when we're in a position to be a leader of others. And so when we look at the places in the Bible where God assigns leadership or he tells us how to be leaders, what he's saying is follow my example Men, I hate to tell you, we have, been, we have been tasked with being the leaders of our family, and I've heard men use that as a way to say, my family should serve me, but that's not what the Bible says. When we're called to be leaders, we're called to be leaders the way that Jesus Christ ruled, and that is to shoulder the burdens of other people upon ourselves, not demanding that they shoulder ours. If you have authority at a workplace, our job is not to load things on other people. It is to take loads off of them because we mimic Jesus Christ. And I will say the same is um, true of me in church leadership. It's not to be praised for me. It's to serve others and to mimic Jesus Christ. And you see the proof of how Jesus handled things in his actions, And the prophecy continues to tell us about what Jesus will be like as a ruler and what his kingdom will look like as he rules. But before we look at that, I want to think once again, what is he rescuing us from? Because he's coming as a ruler, not to be in charge of the world, but because you and I need a rescue from our sin and the punishment of our sin. So what is he rescuing us from when the Bible says that he came here, that we could be free of our sins? What did he rescue us from? And the answer to that is found in 1 John 5.15. And this is what it says. It says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is under the control of Satan as it sits right now. And when Jesus enters this world, he enters a world that Satan has power in to rescue us from Satan. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about Satan or even use his name, whether you call him the devil or Southern, the devil or Satan. Lucifer is his specific name. A lot of people don't like to talk about him. But we have to because we've been conditioned to think of Satan as this little cartoon character that sits on our shoulder with a pitchfork and a red pointy tail and tells us to do things. That's not Satan. Satan is a real leader, a real ruler, a real influencer in this world. As a matter of fact, this is his kingdom. And we see a character profile of what he looks like as a ruler and what his kingdom looks like. The first thing the Bible tells us about Satan is that he is a sinner, which means this will shock y'all. It means that he commits sin. And when you break down sin to its most basic core, we tend to think of sin as, as like breaking the rules. Oh, they're breaking the rules. They're sinning. What sin at its core is is when we reject the goodness of God. When we oppose God in that way because we say, I know better than the almighty and perfect God. And this, this Satan, this devil, he is a sinner and he opposes the goodness of God in every aspect of the world. He opposes the goodness of God in the way that we live our lives. When God says, I have created something good for you, Satan will come to us and say, now I've got a better way and he will steal from us God's goodness. We, we see in our world the goodness of God being stolen from our families, from our workplaces, even from our church and our faith because Satan is a sinner, but he's also a tempter. That means it's not good enough for him, it's not good enough for him to walk around and just oppose God's goodness. He wants an army of people who oppose God's goodness with him. And so he comes to us and he pulls us away from God and he teaches us to actively sin and actively oppose God. The Bible calls Satan a murderer, which means at his core, he steals life. This isn't just what he did. This is who he is. He steals life. The Bible calls him a liar. This is the tool he uses for all of the above. The Bible calls him a thief, which means he is here to take, not to give. He wants to get what he can from you. He wants to steal good things from you. And lastly, it tells us that he is a prowler. I love that. He is prowling around. And when I think of that, I think of a giant cat. Have you guys ever seen a giant cat stalk prey? Oh, it's the most scary thing in the world because they're so cunning and they identify their prey and they will track it and they will sneak up on it and they're waiting until they can pounce and destroy it. And when we look at this person of Satan, this ruler of this world as it stands, that's what he's doing actively 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's following you and me. He's following our children. And he's following our families, and he's trying to figure out how he can steal, kill, and destroy. And unfortunately, this is the leader or the ruler of the world that humans have chosen to follow him, to allow him to have power in our lives. Now, Why did I say all of that? This is what's important about this, is understanding a ruler will help you understand the kingdom that they rule over. Because a kingdom or a church or a business will always begin to act and take on the persona of its leader. And so, if Satan is the ruler of this world, this world begins to act like Satan, begins to act like he does. And this understanding of this has made me grow more in love with our Messiah, with our Savior every day. Because I see not just a bunch of rules for us to have to follow. I see God trying to rescue us from the way that Satan has caused our world to be. I flip through the news almost every day. I don't watch it, but I will read it. And this news will tell you so much about Satan's kingdom. You just flip through the headlines, and you can see how broken our world is under Satan's rule. You see headlines like, like mother of three drowns her children because her new boyfriend didn't like them see headlines like remains of 20 year old girl found after boyfriend strangles her to death on vacation headlines like 15 year old boy and gets new gun for christmas and takes it to school and kills four people headlines like the mistress of a sex trafficker was responsible for recruiting young 14-year-old girls and preparing them to be sexually abused by her boyfriend and their friends. Those are things I've read most of those in the past month in the news. And you can go farther than that. You can look at statistics in the United States. This is just our country. In 2021, so far, 19,800 murders. 19,000 people lost their life as somebody took it from them. Actually, that was Friday. It's very likely over 20,000 now. We see statistics like 23,000 people in 2021 in America lost their life to suicide. It was never supposed to be this way. This is not the world God created. That This is the world that is ruled by Satan. When we have begun to act like him, stealing, killing, and destroying other people and preying on the weak and opposing God, and it doesn't have to be this way. And that is what is so special about our Savior and our Messiah. Because what I've learned about Jesus as I've studied him is Jesus is not just my ticket to heaven. He came to rescue us from this. He came to rescue all of us from this. He came to undo that kingdom and build his own. And if you contrast his character profile with the character profile of Satan, if you contrast what kind of kingdom he will have, I don't see how anybody ever walks away from him. If you continue on through what Isaiah, as he explains the Messiah, it says that he will be called and then he, he lists these names. And a lot of times we read that and we'll be like, oh, well, these will be his names. But in Hebrew culture, to say somebody is called or a name was just who they were or what their purpose was. And so he begins to list these names that tell us about Jesus. And here's the very first one is he will be called wonderful. I shouldn't have to say anything else past that after we, we talk about how bad our world is and suddenly you have this Messiah and describe him in one word, Wonderful. I had to look that word up because how do you describe wonderful? I mean, I can say it in a sentence, but how do you describe it? The official definition of this is that wonderful means that, you, um, that it inspires delight. We have a ruler, a Messiah, that can inspire delight. What inspires delight for you? What is the thing that just makes you go, ah, yes. I'll give you the right answer. It's chocolate. Chocolate is the right answer for that. Some of you are all being spiritual over here. Oh, going to church and serving God. And I'm glad that's you. For me, it's chocolate. Like I've never seen an angry person with a chocolate bar. (laughs) But when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about this Messiah, it is so much better than that. Imagine a ruler where we can see his world and his kingdom and how he rules and we can just be delighted. Just, he he is so good. And if you get to know Him, and if you grow in your relationship with Him, you'll, have your, you'll find yourself having those moments where you think about Him and He He's just so good. Look at what He's done for me. Look what He's done for my family. Look at how good He is. Look at what my life could be without Him. And look at what it is with Him. He is just wonderful. And so we have this choice in the world. You can choose the leader that inspires delight, that is wonderful, or you can continue to follow the ruler of the world who sulks around in the shadows looking for weak people he can take down. The Bible says that the Messiah will be called counselor. I love this one, counselor. What does a counselor do? A counselor listens to your problems, they empathize with you, and they offer a wise solution to it. And by the way, I don't know who started this Christians don't go to counseling thing. There's nothing wrong if there's a period in your time when you need somebody to counsel you. As a matter of fact, that's what we're called to do. Now, I I would say that you should also look to God with that, but there's nothing wrong with that. But a counselor listens to you. Uh, They give you a solution. And the Messiah's essence, that's who he is. Imagine a king that will take time out of his day to come off of his throne and sit down with you and say, Tell me your problem. Oh, you're having relationship problems with somebody that you work with. Oh, yeah. Well, here's a solution. Let me give that to you. And this Messiah comes as counselor. Did you know that you can ask him questions? We think of praying like we pray and we give him this list of demands of things that I want you to do, God, for me because that's what your job is. Now, prayer, we can go to him and we can lay out our problems and be like, God, I just, I don't know how many times I've prayed. God, I don't know what to do with this. I'm lost here. I could use some counsel. He will be called Counselor. And you compare that to the tempter whose sole purpose is to steal God's goodness from us. We can choose a leader and a ruler and a Messiah who wants to give us advice on the wise course of action. He will be called Mighty God. Here's the affirmation, or the affirmation of what we all know, that Jesus Christ is God. He is not just a man, he is God as well. And with that, we get everything that is good about God as part of the character of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And I could preach 83 messages on the topic of how good God is and his good uh, attributes. But this is what I love about this particular one. I love the word here, Mighty. I love that. When you hear the word mighty, what do you think of? You think of strong and and powerful and capable. And I I love the way that Isaiah lays this out, the, uh, the way that God lays this out through Isaiah. He goes from saying, this Messiah, this Savior, is small enough to sit down with you and listen to your smallest problems. And then he immediately goes and he says, but he is too big for you. He is mighty and he is God and he is above you in every way my favorite of all of them, he will be called Everlasting Father. Now, somebody hear this, some people hear this if you've been churched enough. You, you kind of get this, this sense of when you hear um, Everlasting Father, you go straight to the Trinity and you're starting to try to figure out, well, no, Jesus is the Son. He's not the Father. How does that work? In this particular instance, it's not talking about the Trinity. What this is describing is it's describing the relationship between a child and a father, between us and the Messiah. And I know that some of you Some of us in here, we have differing views of of what dad might be or what a father might be. Some of us had good dads, and we think of the positive aspects of that, and I know that some of us also had bad dads, and, and I just want you to know I'm sorry. It was never supposed to be that way, and that thief that we've been talking about, that thief is the one who stole that from you, but when the Bible speaks here, of Him being an everlasting Father. It's speaking of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah being the kind of Father, a godly Father, all fathers should be. A Father who protects and provides and who offers safety. And that's what the Messiah is to us, a provider and a protector and a place of safety for us in a world that is dark and dangerous. Last Friday night, you guys may remember, this was the night that all the storms blew through. Um, we were very blessed here that, that none of us were injured and most of the bad storms were elsewhere. Of course, there were a lot of people that experienced a lot of loss on that night. But you'll you remember those, that night and the storms blowing through. And uh, That night, I gave Oakley a bath. And, and I pulled her out of the bathtub and I wrapped her in a towel and I walked into her room and I stood her up in the middle of her room and I sat on the floor and I started doing the dad drying thing. Right? You know, you got the towel, you're going everywhere. She still doesn't have a diaper on. I'm just trying to get her dry and she's fighting me the whole time because she's almost two and, and, and a storm was blowing in and one of those rumbling thunders crashed outside. I mean, just, it just shook the house and she jumped and I, I don't think I'll ever forget this. She hurled herself into my arms. I don't mean she came and hugged me. I mean, she just dove for my arms and, and I realized at that moment that she was, she was terrified and so I, just, I took the towel and I wrapped it around her and I just held her I'm a big believer in love tank. And if you don't know what that is, all children, actually all humans, have a love tank. And they're going to find a way to have their love tank filled. So when she wants that hug, she's getting that hug as long as she wants to. And in the security of my arms, as I wrapped that towel around her and I just hugged her, I felt her body relax. And she laid her head on my shoulder. And then she, uh, she peed all over me. Yeah, uh, if you guys want a deep theological question, it's how does God fit that much liquid inside of a human being that small? I feel like the fire department turned the water hose on me. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was a bad time. It's <laughs> like, come on, Oakley. You kind of run a moment here, sweetie. This was, this was good. But you know what? And this is the honest truth. I jumped at first. I kind of jumped. And when I realized that that scared her, I just, I held her longer. I didn't even care. You know why? Because that's my little girl and I'm going to protect her And I want her to find safety inside of my arms. And that's the relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. It's not just a name. It's not just a story in the Bible. We can hurl ourselves into his arms at the hardest times in our life. And he'll just wrap his arms around us. And we can find a place of security and safety and protection with him. He will be called the Prince of Peace. Uh, a prince is a ruler over a certain area if you think of the king of england they have authority over england if you think the queen of england i ran out of words but you get the point if you're the king or the prince of something you rule over a certain area and the prince of peace this tells me that he has the ability to rule over peace and isn't that what we all want in our life how much of our life do we chase peace we think we're chasing other things we're chasing peace Why do we work those extra hours to put that extra little bit of money in the bank account? Because we feel like we're gonna have peace knowing that our finances are taken care of. And with Jesus Christ, when he's talking about him as the Prince of Peace, this means he controls and he can give us the true peace that we all desire in our homes and in our hearts and in our world. Jesus Christ is the giver of that. He is the one who rules. And so what all of these things tell us is promise number 16 of Jesus Christ is the child will rule in relationships of peace, safety, and delight. And so as we look at the Christmas story, what we're actually looking at is a story of two different rulers, an evil king of the world that controls the world versus a child who comes to rescue and save the world. And this is what we celebrate is that there was this moment where one king has dominion over the world and another king comes in and he begins to set up his kingdom. What do you call it when one king invades the kingdom of another and begins to take it over? You call it an invasion. Christmas, we celebrate the world that Jesus Christ or we celebrate that Jesus Christ invaded the world to abolish an evil kingdom and set up a good kingdom. And all for one purpose. Live if you want to make your way up here. All for one purpose is he came to rescue us. Because each of us have lived in this kingdom of hatred and anger each of us is the sinner that is ascribed in the bible each of us spent our life opposing god and for that reason we should never be allowed anywhere near him but he loved us enough that jesus christ came in perfect humanity and as a perfect god to sacrifice himself on a cross for us now the truth for every person in this room is everybody makes a decision which ruler do you choose to serve And today, if today was the day you finally gave your life to Jesus Christ because you said, I am tired of the hurt and the pain and the brokenness and the sin in the world and I want the love, the joy and peace. I want Jesus today. Today is the day to get that. You have nothing to celebrate on Saturday if you don't have Christ in your life. This is our response time. I want to invite you to come pray. I would love to pray with you or talk with you, but don't leave here the same as you walked in. Please stand.